Penn State Conversations is a podcast produced by the Donald P. Bellisario College of Communications. Episode topics range from the people, programs, and events that shape the Bellisario College to discussing key aspects of life in the professional world for young and upcoming communications alumni. Please enjoy this episode of Penn State Conversations. Welcome to this week's episode of the Penn State Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Taylor, and on this week's episode, I spoke with John Affleck about his journalistic journey and his duties as the night chair in sports journalism and society. I also spoke to him about his role as the president of the John Curley Center for Sports Journalism and the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications. I'm John Affleck, and I'm the night chair in sports journalism and society in the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications and I run the John Curley Center for Sports Journalism, also in the, also in the Belisario College of Communications. Uh, I'm the director. And what is your role? Sure. Like, what, what do you exactly do you, you, know, you do? Sure. Uh, I have a teaching load, uh, like any of the other professors. And then I also run our sports journalism program, which was the first program to actually grant a, any sort of degree or certificate and so we have a sports journalism certificate that students can earn, and I am the I am the person who organizes that and um, takes applications and makes sure people get through their understand the rules and get through their program. So, how exactly does a student get into the Curley Center, and then how do they earn the certificate? Sure. So the Curley Center requires you to take our basic news writing course ahead of time and. Um, so students have to complete that. And then there's an, an application uh, that, they, that they fill out. And then I review the application. And they are required to give me you know, a couple of pieces of their best work. We want to know their GPA. We want to know uh, specifically what their GPA was in news writing, um, what their grade was in news writing. And then, um, and then I just make a decision, and then we, and then we let them in. Um, the program isn't meant to be super ultra exclusive. It's meant to understand that you are, you have shown a definite interest in sports in some way in your life, and that um, you also um, are keeping up with grades in the college, uh, that, you're, that you've adjusted well to being in college, that you have a decent GPA, uh, that you have a decent grasp of what you were taught in, in news writing. And after that, I really want to, if you want to try, I want to let you try. Gotcha. And then we're just going to switch to, you know, maybe some of your early career. Sure, sure. You, st- uh, you didn't start at the AP, but you spent most of your career at the AP? That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked for a couple of small newspapers, and then the, the story I like to tell is that I was at my second newspaper, and I was just not climbing the ladder. Back in those days, you... You went from a small newspaper to a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger, and eventually, you know, you wound up in Milwaukee or something, and you were happy. And um, uh, that just was not happening for me. And uh, so I happened to be living in Chicago in, in the, a neighborhood called Rogers Park, which just below Evanston. And I went to Northwestern and said and asked if I could get a little bit of career counseling. And lo and behold, they told me to go to Northwestern's program. So I got a master's in journalism at Northwestern, and then from there I joined the AP in Albany, New York in 1991. And then 
I had several stops along the way. I um, was the bureau chief for Western New York, and I do a little bit of Southern Ontario. And I was, um, uh, so I had just anything that happened in that area was my responsibility. And then the same thing, uh, I got promoted to Northeast Ohio, which is actually quite a busy area and had a big bureau at the time. And uh, so, you know, Browns, Cavs, Indians, and then all the news that was happening. So my career is really news and sports. And then a series of things happened that brought me to New York. I got, I got pulled into New York. I was, um, I did a, um, I did a series of stories about training for the Boston Marathon that were more than just dear diary kinds of stories. It was really about how you train for a big athletic event, how how competitors think about it, and sports really liked it. So they asked me to go to the Sydney Olympics in 2000, and I I did a good job there. And then they asked me to come to New York and run a team of national reporters who had broad news beats like uh, race, religion, state government, uh, gay rights, family issues, all those kinds of all these kinds of sort of social sciencey things, like moments when culture in America touches the news. We would write sort of pieces that stood back and thought about those. So it was really really interesting uh, job, and I had that for eight years. And um, the full story is that I, uh, I had gone to Iraq and uh, done, a, done a, a stint about six weeks I was out of the office where I went to Iraq and covered the war during the surge and came back from that and, um, and uh, the international desk was about to make me the war editor. Um, and uh, I had had a really interesting experience there and I was excited about it, but then sports came along and asked me to help them run uh, big enterprise and big stories. And uh, I just got interested in that as well. I mean, I'd always been, I'd been in sports back and forth, like I'd spent one Christmas time doing all the bowl games for them and uh, gone to a couple of Olympics and I'd always written about sports a little bit and oh, I always followed sports. and. One of their editors came and he said to me, um, you really belong in sports because you know that when you look at the news, you look, you scan the news headlines and then you go to sports and you read the whole thing. And that's true about me. So, so I went to sports and I spent the last several years of my career at the AP there. And then Penn State recruited me in 2013 to come, to come here in my current position. And when did you know, like, oh, I want to be in, in communications or in especially specifically journalism? Oh, uh, that's, really, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think I was about 20, was okay at a lot of things. And um, I actually had like sort of better SAT scores in math than I did in verbal. And um, so I was thinking that that might be the way I'd go. But then I uh, did pretty well in like English classes and stuff and the student newspaper at my school asked me to write a couple of stories for him and people really liked him. And so having a big ego, I was just all like, woo, yeah, I'm great at this. And then I found out that I wasn't very good at it and it was gonna be a long road. But, um, but that's how I got the bug to do it. And then just the inch deep mile wideness of the AP really fit me. Um, I'm, I'm somebody who like, likes to, is a little bit interested in a ton of things. And so, um, so that really fits with, um, you know, kind of your basic journalist who wants to go out and find out what everybody does all day. And like, when did you know exactly, like you were like, oh, this is definitely 
this is this is it. This is, I found exactly what I, I'm doing for the rest of my life, basically. Mm. Actually, it was um, the story I was telling earlier where I was working for little newspapers, and I was so poor that one of the um, one of the editors at one of the little papers that I worked for initially uh, suggested that I apply for food stamps and write about the experience. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was like, well, you know, seeing as you guys are the ones who are not responsible for my poverty, I'm not sure I really want to do that. Um, and so it was kind of like, but, but so, so sort of seriously, it was like, I'm not making enough to live on. So uh, at that, at that moment. And so I either have to up my game or get out and do something else. And, um, going back and getting the master's degree was a moment because I had to commit money to it, obviously. And that's when I said, okay, I've got to do this and it's got to work. And I, I knew that I enjoyed it, you know, um, but that was the moment I got like much more serious. And then coincidentally, in the year that I was getting my master's degree, my father passed away. And so my father and I were close and I didn't realize it while he was alive, but once he had passed... I understood that there was no net. And so I had to make whatever I was going to do work. And so I had to fully commit. And I'm guessing a little bit before that, is that like a moment of like questioning? Like, is Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think, and I think that for anyone in probably any field, but the field I know is communications, people wonder if they made the right choice a lot. And I think that period between age 22 and age 25 are particularly that moment for most people where they're out, they find out all the things they don't like about whatever profession they're doing, the working world, and they have to decide whether they, they really want to do it. And I think that Rob King at ESPN, who's a, who's a Penn Stater and has visited us several times, has this great phrase called the great in-between. And the thing to know is you'll get through it. You will get through it. From 91 to 2013, the industry had to change, especially sports industry, but the industry as a whole had to change a lot. It was mm -hmm. kind of one of the biggest changes that you you remember like happening when you were like, this is different. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, it all happens sort of gradually, and you it happens sort of one at a time, and then it's almost like climbing up a mountain, and then you sort of look back, and you're like, wow, we're really high. It, that's kind of how it how it feels. I mean, when I started, I mean, just to kind of give you the sense of technological change, um, we still had one wire uh, at the AP that moved at 66 words a minute mechanically to small newspapers. And so it's, it was called Line 12. I don't know why. And, um, and one of the things you had to do when you were editing was rearrange cut down stories so that they could make it through at 66 words a minute and pick out just the very top things to move. So it was like not that hugely far removed from the telegraph, you know, which was like the, the technological change that created our company, company in the 19th century. So, um, and then we went from that to um, the internet was the, the, the single biggest thing. I'm tempted to say the phone, but the phone came pretty late in my career uh, at the AP. I mean, that, the idea that we all had one and we all had access to all the information in the world is really sort of 2010. But the internet is like 1996, 97. It becomes, you know, all of a sudden you can get 
just this enormous amount of information immediately. And I would basically say the AP fumbled that in terms of how it handled that because we just gave it away. We just put it all, put the, initially we just put the wire on the, put the wire on the internet. And why would anybody ever pay for that yeah. once, once you've done that? So um, I think that that's been, um, one, one other thing I will say is that when I came into the business, because you we were sort of in this period where, so television exists, so that's gonna have the immediate breaking news um, that, that has to get out. And, and then newspapers are gonna come back like in the morning or in the evening. So the, the, the mindset wasn't as, and UPI had died, so AP didn't really have like a Reuters, who, you know, they don't have very much presence in the United States. So my feeling at the time, uh, particularly now looking back, I guess, is that there wasn't this huge sense of urgency, like get it out, get it out, get it out. The, we'd rather be right than first. Always the best thing in the AP but like, you know, we got a minute to breathe and make it writerly, you know, to, yeah. to take. And then the, the internet and then particularly the phone have put us back in a position of being super competitive about getting news actually out first. So I'd say that was, that was kind of a, a change that we went through. And then it was like your, your most memorable moment at the AP. Okay. There are, a, a, you know, a million of them. Yeah. Um, uh, 9-11, yeah. you know, 9-11 was the only time I saw people freak out in the newsroom ever, uh, like yell. Um, being part of the Olympic team the first time was just amazing and super fun. That's uh, Sydney, right? That's yeah, that was Sydney. Yeah. That was in 2000. Sydney, yeah, 2000. Gorgeous place. You see the Olympic facilities for the first time. You're part of like this all-star team of reporters who are there. That was, that was really exciting. Um, the World Cup in South Africa. I got to see Nelson Mandela came to the final and rode around like, you know, on a cart and waved to everybody. And he was, uh, you know, very elderly. But I saw Nelson Mandela, who's probably, you know, one of the three greatest figures of the 20th century. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, like, all of those moments are, are great. Um, you know, we had, I won't bore you with details, but I've been part of projects that really made a difference and you know had a lot of impact and got a lot of front pages and all those moments are really gratifying but what's kind of more gratifying than the moment like you see it go out or you begin to get feedback is the creating moments in you know in when you're sort of working through the story and you realize you're you got something good you know that's yeah. kind of that's kind of cool and then like switching gears where does the teaching book come from like what draws you to become an educator? Uh, so I don't have kids. I always sort of liked the training aspect of it. And then I went to Notre Dame undergraduate, but I'm from Syracuse, New York, and um, made a connection at Newhouse at Syracuse University. And they invited me to do a couple of lectures. And I really enjoyed it. I really had fun up there. And so I was uh, pretty amenable to the idea of when Dean Harden called me. I just, I mean, uh, this kind of gets into Penn State in particular, but when I came out here for my interview, I just realized that if Penn State wanted me, I wanted to be at Penn State. I just walked around campus and it 
was the first time I really felt like I was home in a way in a long time, like in a, on a college campus. And, um, you know, I come from a hyper-educated family. I'm in a family of five kids. I'm the youngest of five. I have three degrees, and I am the least educated person in our family. So, like, we've got a thing for being at school. Uh, yeah. We like school. And, um, and, uh, and then, like, when I actually got in the classroom and started to work with the students, uh, they're just a blast. I mean... The undergraduates are a blast. They are young and they're optimistic and they're super funny and they have like, you know, just that, um, they have a sense of possibility and, you know, um, you know, journalists are, are really uh, fun and snarky people, but, you know, you go to a big, you know, a big sporting event and you have, you know, a bunch of pudgy middle-aged guys complaining about everything and trading that for, you know, 20-somethings who are, you know, are you watching the show? Are you listening to this album? Are you, you know, kind of, kind of keeps you much more sort of engaged on a lot of fronts. And is that like your favorite part? Would you say of, of teaching? Oh yeah, the engagement with the students is great. It's great. It's also great to watch people develop. You know, like people to go from here to here. I'm making a motion of hand going up. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so you know, doing that is um, is really. Uh, what's great like creating a little creating a you know to use a football analogy creating a hole and then they run through it and they have an explosive play and yeah. it's great you know that's really really cool and seeing them get awards and create great great content and is fantastic and the other thing that i would say is is super cool is um dean harden is great about uh if i can dream it and make it happen and it helps our students you go for it, kid, you know? Yeah. So, you know, two sports documentaries later and, um, you know, TV specials and partnerships with the AP and USA Today and um, other news, Pennsylvania news media organization and all, a bunch of other media groups that we've, that we've worked with over the years. Being able to do that is always exciting and, and, and new. So that's really cool. And what would you say was like maybe like a bigger sh a struggle that you didn't anticipate when you first came into education? Uh, it took me a while to understand how to be a teacher in the classroom. You just, whether it's actually true or not, you have sort of a mental image of the teachers up there with a pointer and blah, 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 for an hour. And it took me a little while to figure out that the less I talked, the more they learned and the more we we did stuff in the classroom, the better the class went. So I really try to have competitions and games and exercises be part of class. I really think that that's, that's hugely important and that, that takes a while. And I was very, I was way, uh, the first couple of years, I was really sort of stage, I'd, I'd get stage fright before going into class and you know, fumble my words and all that sort of stuff and now somewhere around year three or four I was kind of like you know what it's kind of like being a late night show late night host yeah. if something goes wrong you just make a joke about it and everybody laughs and it's fine and then you just introduce the next topic you know and and it's fine yeah it's fine what like what type of opportunities will present themselves to like a curly center student mm. so um I'll just give you sort of the standard pitch I give to, to people who want to get into the, the uh, program or um, who are looking at Penn State. And that is, there are sort of three levels of student uh, that I see. 
One is a student who really isn't sure what they want to do, but they like sports and they like reporting and writing. So the first thing that we can do is make you a better communicator. Um, my strong belief is that if you can write about sports, you can write about anything. Um, it forces you to organize your thoughts and speak very clearly, very quickly. And if you can do that, uh, you can write a good memo, you can give a good speech, you can write a novel, you can write a report, all these kinds of things that you might need, whether you pursue a career in journalism or not. Um, this week, I read Warren Buffett's, um, you know, like 10 tips on success. Mm -hmm. And number two, I can't remember what number one was, strangely, but number two was um, learn to be a better communicator. And so I really think that that's, you know, I, I agree with that. It's absolutely essential skill. Um, number two is somebody who's tried journalism. Maybe they've uh, written for a high school newspaper. They're really good at essays. They're already getting involved in student media. Um, and so we, we absolutely encourage that with anybody coming in, like freshmen, if you think you want to try that, do it. Our student media is great here, and they're very aggressive, and they really want, they're sort of, uh, they've got good camaraderie, so they want people. And for those people, it's about like, okay, this is how you really do it. This is how it really looks, like to write a feature story for, a, uh, for mass publication. This is how a gamer looks. This is how, uh, you know, an opinion piece. This is kind of what it's got to have. It can't just be hot take off the cuff. It's got to be deeper. So for those people, we're getting them to a level where they go into the office on their internship. The boss says, we need you to cover X and they feel comfortable covering X. And they didn't know about X before they got in today. Um, the third level is people who have some experience and are pretty good, and we're taking them from 10 to 11. So those are the people who are just gonna step out and kill it in the industry, but we really wanna hone those skills. And that's our opportunity, um, just a sort of a side note, that's our opportunity to have an impact on the profession. and you know, compete for contests and awards and stuff like that, but have an impact, chance for to have an impact. And what I mean by that is we're in a state in journalism right now in the United States where student media actually covers kind of a lot of stuff, and we can have a, an important impact on that, whether it's stuff like, I mean, small examples. Um, for USA Today, we covered the U.S. Open, and we were covering, for USA, uh, for Gannett newspapers, we were covering people who all were outside the top four. So it's like, you know, number 80 is from Des Moines and there are 125 competitors. So we're doing the hometown story on number on the guy who's gonna be number 80, you know, for that. We had, we had a story about a Michigan sophomore who was uh, at the open as an amateur and he was playing a guy named Schembechler who was from Ohio, random. You know, like, you know, yeah. writing that for Detroit. Um, but then, you know, we covered the Paralympics for the Associated Press. We're going back to Tokyo and doing that. Um, we've done two films. And, you know, I think that the people who are involved in those, I know that they were able to use that as an eye catcher in terms of their, where they went um, uh, post, post school. And um, making that video storytelling, storytelling of all types, uh, part of our repertoire is is really huge. So those are the different sorts of things that the Curley Center can do for you, depending on, and you can go from not really knowing much to the very top while you're here. It just takes work. Yeah.
and so that we're in this like ever changing media. I, I've said that before. Sure. Um, especially sports media. Jerry Jones recently said like sports gambling is going to be a fifty yeah. percent increase to media rights for the NFL. How do you teach students who may be like unfamiliar with the concept of sports gambling? How you cover it? What did it like? How do you? Well. Sadly, Jerome, that's part of the sports business course <laughs> that we didn't get you in. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's actually, you know, one of the things that I do, I actually teach a course in covering sports business. And um, a lot, I mean, like next week's theme is disruption. Next week's theme is how much things are changing. And, um, and we basically take people through that. And we actually do in class teach a little bit of 101 to understand what's going on in the industry. I mean, we've gone from gambling being, you know, totally anathema to, uh, uh, you know, for talking about even to something that, like, when I talk about prepping for game coverage now, I basically tell people, one of the things I tell them is, look at the Las Vegas line. Those guys are those guys are making money for a reason. They have an understanding of where this game ought to go. Yeah, my friend and, always says it's wild how close they always get the line. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I do think you know I, I think I think you have to from my from my chair what you have to look at is what kind of information are people going to be looking for in this market, and then tailoring a little bit of your reporting to that. So, particularly with fantasy, I mean, I haven't seen stats recently on fantasy, but I feel like I may be the only person I know who doesn't have a fantasy team going into this NFL season. Yeah, I heard it. Uh, the whole fantasy sports is eight billion. It's an yeah. eight billion dollar industry. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. And then um, the American Gaming Association came out with a report the other day that said. 15% um, of the adult U.S. population will wager on the NFL legally. Um, and actually, sorry, not all legally, but um, this season. So obviously people are in a competitive way thinking about that. So what that means is any information on injuries, on game plan, um, are going to be at a premium for consumers because they're looking at whether you know, how many touches is David Montgomery going to get next week after the Bears only scored three points this week? You know, so is, is, is he, are they going to rely on him more or are they going to say the running game isn't working at all? Yeah. You know, will Antonio Brown ever play again? And, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, um, so that's going to have a big impact on people. So that's kind of what I do is I try to make sure that we're paying attention to to trends, I think, I mean, in our, in our sports writing course this semester, um, we're putting an extra emphasis on feature writing because feature writing is becoming the bread and butter of sports writing in a way that it wasn't, that event, co event coverage was, but the metrics are showing that event coverage doesn't get the eyeballs that features do. So editors are gonna want feature writers. So yeah. we'll, we'll make feature writers. And then to get a certificate from the Curley Center, what, what exactly is the requirement? Sure. Um, you have to take uh, two of our courses, and we offer in any given semester between three and five uh, different kinds of courses. And, um, um, and, and there's also the possibility of an independent study with me. 
and then you need to have an, a work experience. So, um, you know, if you're covering a beat for the Collegian, say, or if you're interning with the Browns, you know, or the Steelers or something like that, that'll, that'll count toward the, toward the experience. And so it's three credits within the major. It's not meant to be a minor. We do now have a sports minor at Penn State that kids can do that's kind of not on the journalism track. But, um, but it isn't, what it does is it, it, it kind of forces you into the community. And it, in reality, the impact is you wind up being part of one of these organizations or you wind up getting, taking sports fairly seriously. And you can be, it, I mean, we've had people from telecom, ad PR, and journalism in the, you know, get certificates from the center. You know, what skills could a person outside of communications, what skills would you say is necessary for the future, a future sports journalist? Like, what is a skill outside of communications that you think someone should have if they want to become a sports journalist? I think it's helpful to know a little bit about history. Um, I think you need to understand, I think cultural history is really important because um, that's actually, that, let me just say, that's a great question. Um, uh, I think our cultural history in America is really important. It's important to understand um, a little bit about where different people, are, where different groups of people are coming from. So, so African Americans in America, Latinos in America, women getting to play sports at all. So I think all of that is really important because it speaks to pay disparities, it speaks to how people perceive power, and it, it's, that is really important. I mean, I've said it in class. Um, you know, I think every American ought to read a book on slavery, on the history of slavery, and so to understand that. So I think that that's really important. I think, um, I think having a, a working knowledge of how a court case works is absolutely essential because so much gets worked out in, uh, in our litigation system. Um, and I don't just mean criminal things, I mean, CBAs. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, labor agreements and, and the way labor law in particular uh, works is, is really important because it helps you understand why negotiations go the way they go. Medical stuff can help a little bit. Uh, um, that's, that's also good to know. Uh, I think similarly to how the legal system works, sometimes how legislation works is also helpful. Um, because some of this, um, because like the NCAA is like sort of a quasi-legal body, yeah. body yeah. and work stuff like that. And sometimes actual laws on, you know, you may have, in the future you may have laws on, you know, what helmets are required to have and that sort of thing. And so how, how all that works is, is really important. And I think, you know, basic understanding of uh, some business concepts you know, how to read an earnings statement and um, that kind of thing can be very helpful because those are the people who are sponsoring sports and that's how, you know, how the television business works drives more than half the revenue in sports. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's really key. And so construction is going on in Willard. Uh, what do you expect from the Curley Center when we when everyone moves to the Belisario Media Center? Right, um, it's an exciting time in Belisario. It's um, what I expect are more activities, and by that I mean sort of more. 
more classes that are taught by more than one professor where we're working on projects and uh, sort of practical sorts of courses as opposed to sort of meat and potatoes kind of stuff, things. And that's, honestly, that's really where we've seen students really flourish in the past, so we're really excited about that. Um, I also think there's there's a golden opportunity for student media because uh, because of having more than one media center housed there. What I'm thinking of specifically is, you know, the Collegian will be Com there, Radio. Com, Com Radio. I mean, it's possible you could have, in a way that the geography doesn't really work right now, is like, you know, the beat reporters for the Collegian could be interviewed on a Com Radio show, and you could bring Com Radio casters in to be interviewed by the collegian people for like game predictions and stuff like that so people are starting to get a little bit even more experience in um crossing media yeah so that sort of thing and then what what does the future hold for the curly center like just immediate future the immediate future is um we've been approved to go to tokyo uh for the paralympics um to cover that so we're going to be selecting that class fairly soon um, I anticipate that our Curly Center students this year will go to whatever Penn State bowl game we've got with a little bit of support from the Curly Center and that we may have a project related to the Super Bowl at some point here. Um, you know, globally speaking, I think really sky's the limit as far as, you know, if we can, the, the more talented our students are and the better we can recruit them and train them, the more impact we can get them to have and um, we are really open to all sorts of opportunities in America internationally I would love to see us be able to do some more sports documentaries on a semi-regular basis um, they take a little bit of effort and time to create and you have to live with it for a while so it's got to be the right story but I'd love to give more students that opportunity and I think again um, you're in a situation there where, you know, when people see the see that work, it's got a lot of impact, and the experience of doing it is, you know, collaborative and really creative and all that sort of stuff. So, I feel like we're getting people more uh, attuned to the idea that that we're out there, that we're doing things, and we're getting um, a little bit more exposure. So, we're really excited. All right, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Penn State Conversations. For more information about the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications, including the latest news and upcoming events, visit belisario.psu.edu or find us on social media at PSU Belisario on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.